to another episode of Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madot. Thanks again for joining us today. I am really excited about this episode, and I'll tell you why in a minute here. I have Merrick Wazalewski. He is Senior Vice President Global Sales over at Mavener, coming to us from Big D, Dallas, Texas. Everything is bigger in Texas, right, Merrick? Absolutely. Hello, Paul. Uh, privileged to be here today. Well, Thank it's you. my pleasure. Uh, and so, say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro, and then uh, we'll get we'll get into it here. Hey, folks. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Um, as Paul says, my name is Marek Wasiluski. I live in the Big D in Texas, where everything is indeed much bigger. Um, very privileged to be here. Um, hopefully, you know, I'm here to provide just a little bit of entertainment and a little bit of insight for you. Well, you know, Merrick, let's get into it. So as you know, the title of this podcast is called Your Intention Matters. And as we've talked about, that's really built on the foundation that nothing's really given to any of us and everything is earned. And we've had some big decisions to make. And And the reason why I, I'm super excited about uh, your story is that this is the second time I'm hearing it. <laughs> and I'm excited because I'm very intentional about making sure that your story is heard. Because for those of you listening, we actually recorded a podcast must have been end of March, early April, and I don't know what happened, but it's gone missing, and I was dead set to make sure that we got to get Merrick back in here. So I'm looking forward to the audience round one, but for me, round two. Very good, Paul. Me All right. too. So, so let's move into it. So now listen, we are here. Uh, we're recording this early September 2020. Um, we're six months into this thing, give or take, uh, for the most part, and I'm um, how are you? How is your business? How is your family? Uh, how have you come through this? Or how are you coming through this as we all try and still figure out what's this new normal going to be? Yeah, it's a great question. And thank you for, for asking, Paul. You know, I, I, I'm like everybody else, even though I am, you know, in the big D where everything is better, hopefully not, not the size of COVID. But, uh, you know, as I, as I like to say, there, there is a period um, where, you know, for me, it's about six months. It's like asking or looking for a new job. And there's this honeymoon period, which usually lasts about six months, where, you know, you, you kind of get in. Oh, my God, my dog is barking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Working from home, man. We're all good. I'm so sorry. My apologies. Um so what it is, is that we go through this honeymoon period, which for me, as I said, I think typically lasts about six months where everything is new. And when we're trying to, Mark, Paul, I'm so sorry, just hold on. Let this, sure thing, Merrick. Let, let this post guy just go fast because he's going to lose his mind. Okay. All right. All right. Take so Merrick, uh, how have the last six, how have the last six months been? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Paul. I'm rediscovering myself. I'm rediscovering different um, strengths and I think diff different weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I keep talking about the fact that it takes about six months to get adjusted and uh, accumulated to, to sort of a new situation and a new scenario. And I think globally, we're finding ourselves in that particular period right now, sort of a six months and beyond. 
where you know we've discovered that this is indeed the new norm and whether it's better or worse that's kind of irrelevant we yeah. we have to adjust to it right so you know i'm i'm making up as i my, there are certain things that i make up as i go along um it's definitely an exponential learning curve but i think overall i'm doing well all right good and and you know certainly talking about adjustments i know that you are no stranger to having to adjust because your career and your life has been anything but a straight line. So uh, with that said, let's get into it. You ready to roll? Absolutely. All right. So Merrick, uh, share with us, where did you grow up? Yeah. So I guess, you know, when you're talking about no stranger to adjustments and no, no stranger to, um, you know, to, to pivoting, I, I was born in, um, in Poland. And I was born um, in the beginning of the 70s, so really behind what they called an Iron Curtain during the time of communism. Okay, and so uh, how long did you live in Poland and um, when did you leave? I left as a, as a very young child. Um, I guess I was forced to leave as a very young child. You know, I still remember this as it was as if it was yesterday. Um, I went from a what I would call a fairly young, ignorant, sort of eight-year-old or a nine-year-old kid to becoming a fugitive overnight. And, um, you know, I got woken up in the middle of the night. And uh, I remember my parents, you know, telling me to get dressed and getting dressed quickly. And... You know, we had two suitcases. You know, as I said, I, I still, I have still, still have this vivid image as if it was yesterday. And those two suitcases is all that we had. And my parents closed the door behind us of what was the home that I grew up in. And effectively, we got on a on a train um, to Austria, and we ran for our lives. And how old were you? I was nine. Okay, nine. so nine years old, I mean, you're still a kid, but you're still old enough to understand, hey, wait a second, this is not the norm. Yeah. Are you an only child? No, so it was myself and my younger brother. Okay. Um, he doesn't really recall much of it. He's three years younger than me. So, okay, so six know. years old. Yeah. Okay, so you're nine years old, woken up in the middle of the night, and then you take a train and you go to Austria. Okay, and so uh, how long were you in Austria for? No, so we, we got on the train, um, we managed to get through Czech Republic, and believe it or not, actually what happened is that very same day as we made it through the, the Polish border into Czech Republic, at midnight, they introduced a state of emergency, which means they shut the borders. Mm. And... See, even your dog is glad that you're in Dallas now. Yes, he is. He is. And he keeps on interrupting. And you're going to have to either edit this or, you, or your listeners might just going to have to accept the fact that we are both working from home. But um, as, as, we, as we made it through the Czech Republic, we arrived in Austria. Um, and I remember getting off the train and uh, we were met by um, soldiers, effectively, on the platform, right? They, they were all fully armed to the T, and they had uh, the dogs with it, and they, they were barking, and there was, you know, it, it wasn't just the fact that it was a new experience for me. It was a new, frightening experience, as you can imagine, as a nine-year-old kid. You know, you're trying to get off the train, and there's people screaming and shouting massive sort of military 
dogs barking and everybody's armed and it, it was just a a frightening frightening experience um but to answer your question you know we we were in austria for perhaps just over six months okay so you're in, okay so you you you're forced to leave so then your teens and your early 20s where did you end up technically i guess really growing up and becoming into a young man yeah, I'm not sure I got there yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so as, um, as as obviously the the, the border shut down and, and the state of emergency occurred in Poland, a lot of countries started opening up their borders and looking for for skilled workers. Um, we um, landed up as a result of that um, actually going into Africa. So we stayed in South Africa for I would say most probably, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years or so. So a lot of my younger childhood and my teenage years, um, you know, obviously part of it was in Poland as a young kid, but most of my teenage years, I would say I, I grew up in South Africa. So now, Mayor, keep me honest here, because I don't profess to be a subject matter expert on the topic at all, but South Africa certainly has had its issues as well. Uh, as a country with, with civil unrest internally. And, and so, you know, you, you're, you're Polish, you end up in, in Austria, you end up then going to South Africa. I imagine vastly different lifestyles and the way of life. And, and so what was that adjustment? Did you even speak English at the time? Everything was new. Um, and I guess, you know, as a young kid, m maybe it's the fact that, you know, children are just a little bit more resilient. But we arrived in South Africa. And as you can imagine, um, they even drove on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> so everything was different. Um, I didn't speak a word of English. Um, I, you know, I sort of just after a period of about six months, um, got into a, a fairly good proficiency of German. So, you know, as you can imagine, you know, as a young kid, I had to be the translator for my parents in, in Austria. Now we've arrived in yet another country and I've got to restart the process all over again and try to learn yet another language. And obviously, you know, my parents are arriving there and they've got needs and they've got demands. So I've had to grow up very, very quickly, right? Because it's, and I think it's maybe due to that resiliency and ability to sort of pick up a language that I got, you know, pulled into, you know, a lot of situations as, as a young child that typically you wouldn't pull a kid into. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're going through a world right now of unrest and, and things that are different, but I, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I am think about when I was nine, all right, I was worried about, am, am I going to play Atari, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the next night, or any friends going to come over, and, uh, you know, we all have our, our vices, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was 11, and so we certainly went through that, but you know, I got to stay in Toronto, and I, you know, etc., so here you are really moving across the world, and then so you, you have your teens in, in South Africa. And so where did you choose to get educated? And what was your background there? Um, I, I left South Africa as a, as a sort of a young, um, young adult and um, moved to the UK. And so hence, if you, if you, you know, when, whenever I get asked the story, if you like, it's like, where are you from, Marek? 
because your accent is not your typically American or typically English. And and then, you know, if if I had to summarize my story, it's like yeah, by birth I'm Polish, by um, by nationality I'm actually British because I spent majority of my of my sort of younger adulthood in in the UK. But by accent, I'm, I'm definitely confused and unique. Um, but I got um, most of my education, or part of it actually, um, part of it was in, in South Africa, and my master's degree was actually done in, um, in the UK. In the UK, okay. So your decision to go to the UK, uh, what was behind that? We we got to a we got to a you know sort of a position once again where I. Um, I just felt like there was a, a much larger world out there and maybe it was installed into me when as a result of the fact that, you know, as a fairly young kid, I, I've had to move around, but I wanted to see more. I wanted to give more. I, um, I wanted to experience more. And I just felt like, you know, at that particular point in time, um, you know, South Africa went through, and I'm not going to get into the political side of it, Robert, but, you know, it went through a fairly, um, fairly sort of a, yeah. uh, a, a, peri a period of unrest, maybe, is, is the way, best way of, this, the, you know, sort of defining it. And, um, yeah, you know, as, as a young kid, I, once again, I had, I had my, myself, my wife, we were both very young, and two backpacks <laughs> and and that was it <laughs> we moved you know i i thought you might have said that the decision to go to the uk might have been because they speak english there first and you had learned english in south africa so the idea of maybe learning another language might have been i'm not doing that <laughs> well they actually speak two languages right i mean they speak english and they speak afrikaans yeah. which is a, a a sort of a former dialect of of dutch but I can assure you, if you speak if you speak to somebody who's South African and they've got a typically what I would call a Dutch English South African accent, right? And it's, it's very different from mine. So, how was it that you ended up stateside? I um, some well, I've been in the states about five years now, and uh, but six years ago so I um, I got a call from a, a, a really good friend personal friend of mine and then a colleague um, Joe Vidalong who's now the CRO for um, Extreme Networks and I started to hit the sort of the glass ceiling when I was at Mitel and I've always wanted to experience more as I said to you you know it's like I've moved from one place and I felt like there's more to offer and more to give. So I wanted to experience other cultures and and um, other nationalities and other ways of life. And uh, I, I remember, you know, like knocking on his door and said, Joe, you know, I'm ready. You know, do you have anything? You know, can, can I can I assist? Can I? And it took about a good two years of dialogue, I think, before he actually called me and said, Hey, Marek. We've got a leadership gap here. Um, you know, we need somebody of sort of your background, your enthusiasm, your experience to come in and run the national, um, you know, the enterprise cloud team in, in North America. And I was uh, on the plane in October 
just testing the waters. And two months later, I was in the States once again with a single suitcase. But this time I had my bicycle with me. So it kept me busy on weekends. But that was it. And so uh, so you moved to the state. Where, where did you end up in the States? Was it Dallas? It was. It was. Um, I sort of moved straight out of, I lived, we lived in a place 40 miles north of, um, of London. And uh, we literally was from uh, from the typical English weather all the way through the typical Texas weather. So like polar opposite, is a, a bit of an adjustment for sure. Okay, and so uh, your decision to move to the states, you're there. Um, massive adjustment for you versus the UK. Fairly seamless. Uh, what was it like in terms of transitioning, other than the weather, but just even the lifestyle and the culture and the mindset? What was it like? You know, thank God that human body is built to forget because I don't think I, I don't think I'd be able to do this more often than what I have already. And, you know, I've emigrated, I think, somewhere around five times in my life before. And that's just purely because, you know, the, the energy and, and, and the need to experience more things. The adjustment was uh, definitely not easy, Paul. Um, you know, what, what happened is I moved... Um, in January, and I effectively became the guinea pig for the company. They, they haven't really brought many expats across, so it was more of a dis- as much of a discovery for them, maybe as it was for me. I think more importantly, um, my son um, was ten years old, um, and my wife, um, you know, they were still both in in the UK, and oh. we were apart for six months, effectively whilst I was trying to, you know, sort of bring the new business up to speed and turn it around and trying to get it to profit at the same time, trying to sort of at least provide some level of stability for them, you know, when they come across. And so so the the delay, was it paperwork? Was it schooling? Was it administrative? Was it just you? I, I want to put my head down and get this done. It was, it was a little bit of everything. Um, my son, obviously, um, he was at school and he was just about to go to high school. And one of the things that we wanted to do is wanted to make sure that it, he gets an opportunity because it was January, effectively. You know, we wanted to give him the opportunity to at least, at least finish the current school year um, in the UK. So that was the delay. The second part was just trying to get all of the administrative things done. In other words, um, take our existing house. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to sell it? Are we going to rent it out? And, you know, and all the other bits and pieces that you have typically that are tied to you, um, you know, when you have a, a life somewhere. So it, it, it wasn't easy, but, you know, there were a number of factors that sort of um, caused this period to be, you know, as long as six months. You know, Merrick, if we talk about time here, uh, if my math is correct, as I'm kind of adding up what you're talking about here, you must have been at Mitel eight to 10 years between both the UK and the US. And so you're not there anymore. And so I I don't imagine, and you keep me honest, maybe it was, but I don't imagine that was the easiest of choices. A lot of, um, uh, what's the word for loyalty to the company, 10 years, they move you across, they give you a new lifestyle, they kind of put their trust in you and you put your trust in them and it's a good relationship. So why move on? What happened? Well, once again, you know, um, I'm not done yet. 
I think that's that's the most important takeaway for me is that you know I will keep pushing the boundaries. I'll keep pushing the envelope. Um, for me, it was the, there were certain things that I recognized that you know I was in an industry, um, the unified communications industry, if you like, for the last ten years, as as you rightfully um, said. I just felt that after you know those ten years. Um, I needed to diversify my experience and, and learn a little bit more because there, there are certain times, you know, in your life when you get to a point where I, at least for me, I become extremely uncomfortable when I run out of chaos. Okay. <laughs> so 2020 must be a real pleasure for you. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I got to a point where I just felt like, I've achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. And, um, you know, as, as difficult as it was, I just felt like, you know, I needed to make the next step. And there were certain things that I wanted to still uh, achieve. And, you know, that that's what led to that difficult decision, I guess, to to leave the organization. And, and where did you go? Um, I got headhunted um, by Symantec. Uh, and it was actually one of those missing blocks that um, uh, I wanted to make sure that I take, um, lack of cybersecurity experience. So um, Symantec was looking for, a, for somebody to head up the, the global sort of systems provider, service providers, right? And um, the, the consumer part of the business was, um, was doing well online. But as they, you know, they sort of found a niche that what they wanted to do is take a lot of the products that they were offering and offer it through channel partners such as service providers out there. And obviously with my global background experience, um, I was a perfect fit. Uh, was there a move or were you afforded the opportunity to still work in Dallas? Well, one of the things that I've learned when I moved into the U.S. is that nothing's done by car and nobody walks anywhere, right? So if you wanted to attend any kind of a meeting, you had to get on the plane. And, um, you know, I spend as much as 80 to 90% of my time on, on the plane. Um, so it really didn't matter where I was. Fortunately enough, I was offered to um, work remotely per se or to be based remotely, which meant that, you know, I could at least offer my wife and my son and the family um, a level of stability which was obviously important after the massive move that we've just had. Okay. And so how long were you at Symantec? I was in Symantec for um, about 18 months. Okay, so about uh, a year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. And was your next move Mavener, where you are now? The next step okay. was Mavenir. Mavenir. Uh, here too, you know, it was really um, an approach by the CEO and the, and the senior executive team where um, Maveni is one of those organizations that prides itself in doing phenomenal work in the mobile network operator space. Um, it's not a great, it's not a, um, a renowned name. Why? Because, you know, everything that we do is typically under somebody else's umbrella or under somebody else's logo. You know, so if you look at some of those big mobile network operators like the T-Mobiles and the Telefonicas and, and so on and so forth, um, you know, and you think about the 4G and the radio and the 5G space, uh, you wouldn't, you would think that they do it themselves. Well, actually, you know, that network building is done by, by, by companies like Maven. So, um, 
there was once again a need of taking the solutions um, that Mavenir had and ultimately roll them out into a, a new opportunity and build out what an, an enterprise space. So effectively building out a channel community of valued resellers, system integrators, service providers. Um, and that's what I got brought on to do, to head up the sort of the, the strategic enterprise, global enterprise space. You know, Merrick, I'm curious about something. You've shared your story here. How has your, or how has your childhood, specifically nine years old, woken up in the middle of the night, moving your life, and then going to a country that you never, you don't even speak the language in an, an entire new world. How has that positively impacted your adulthood? I, I think that was, without a shadow of a doubt, the, the, the crucial element of my life, which shaped the way that I think, the way that I drive, the way that I push, um, you know, everything that I do. Um, in, I was forced into a, a very tiny corner in a very early age of my life. And that ultimately meant that, you know, I, I very quickly had to discover that there's only two ways out of that corner. You, you fight or you, or you die. So for me, um, as being this young kid who was, you know, forced into a lot of these situations, I've had to learn to, to pivot very, very early. And I've discovered various things about, you know, the, the importance of, um, having the right kind of people around you and relying on people and um, gathering information in order to be made, maybe make a better decision. Um, you know, all of those things have ultimately, I believe, you know, shaped me into, into who I am today. Merrick, any advice for anybody listening that maybe served you well in your life? Um, you know what? I don't like to give advice, Paul, <laughs> but I... Because I think it, even as a mentor, right, your responsibility isn't really to provide as advice as much as it is maybe to lead people towards that critical stage of critical thinking stage where you allow them ultimately to make up their mind on their own and, and do what they already know needs to be done. But I will say, say this, um, you know, just when you think... Um, things aren't going to get any better, they do. Mm. And, you know, you've got two options. You, you fight, as I said, or, or you sit back and you watch things unfold and become the victim. And, um, you know, it, it, no one said, and I won't say that it's ever easy, but you do have an opportunity when you close your eyes at the end of each and every single day to reset and when you wake up the next morning, you've got a new opportunity to reset and restart the day. Just make the most of it. Well, Merrick, I'm so glad that uh, we were able to do this again. Thanks for so much for freeing up the time and being being willing to share your story to me twice, obviously to the <laughs> audience for the first time. Uh, I think it's a perfect way to wrap this one up. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate your time today. You're very welcome. Uh, so everybody, well, let's wrap this one up right now. Again, thanks so much for uh, allocating the time to be here. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result you'll tend to get. 
We're out of here. We'll catch you next week and be safe. Thank you.